what we just have to call Thomas Drant's erotica. Thomas Drant's erotica. Course. This did deserve to get played again. Thomas Drant's erotica. Expected goals. <laughs> Thomas Drant's erotica. This is my favorite one. Dog's model. They didn't go to draft picks though. Not no, like that, that, that was the that was the thing that, that sparked it from I, Shorty in the first place. I think they improved it. I think they improved it. Dom's, I will say Dom's model gets me way more excited than draft picks. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I was glad I'm glad you went with excited there. What did you think I was gonna uh, go with? Well, I'm not gonna say anything. Um Wall guy? I did. Inside guy? Uh, no, that's what gets Rick talking excited. Wall guys and inside guys. Late guy. Hey, yep. Um, <laughs> I know Andy has a background as uh, as a musician. Like yes, there's he some does. there's some legit like uh, production work at play there. It's good. <laughs> I a, like it. I he, appreciate it. He has a background as both a musician and a guy capable of making the most normal words sound incredibly creepy. <laughs> Corsi. Yeah. Like, I've never I've never ever before been like disturbed. By the tone of the utterance of the word "corsi" until today, he nailed it. Yeah, uh, Alec <laughs> and Andy Cole on the morning show really, uh, really in their bag. The dog destroyed it. Uh, anyway, this, this is why I'm a dog person. This is <laughs> this is Canucks talk here on Sportsnet 650. Dog guy, <laughs> yeah, yeah, big dog guy over here. I'm a big dog guy. It's Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drantz here. Uh, Drantz are, of course, also covering the team at the Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, keeping you at the top of your game. Now found together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net 650. 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, that intro, courtesy of Andy Cole and Greg Ballack, the producers on Halford and Bruff, the morning show here. Um, you know what else I bet got Rick talking excited is the structure that the LA Kings played with in shutting out the Canucks 3 0. You think in Rick Talkett got excited by the form of a Canucks opponent? Speaking of Thomas Transerotica, I mean, I think he was impressed by it. I, I imagine who, so. Who, who wouldn't be? Honestly, they played really who well. Be? I, that Blake Lazat line. Absolutely churned that game in their direction. And it was like nothing off the rush, nothing cute or pretty about it. They just won every 50-50 paddle along the wall for like 15 consecutive minutes and then put the greasiest possible goal past Colin Delia, who played totally fine, by the way. Delia was like good, right? Yeah, oh yeah, he was fine. It's not like... I think he was good. Sure, it's like... The the loss had nothing to do with him, nothing to do with the goalie, right? No, but the Kings, the, uh, the a goalie who wasn't sharp allows three in a mm. game like that, where where the Kings just peppered the Canucks with such a high volume of looks generally, and a lot of them were from tight inside. Now they weren't preceded by a ton of creative buck movement, and the guys shooting it are not necessarily the most gifted snipers. It's not like Elias Pettersson on the doorstep, but. I, I, if he hadn't been on his game, that's a three or four goals against the Canucks type performance 
he was I thought he was really good to limit the damage the way he did. Yeah. Um so that was really the story of the game, right? The Kings took over that game. They dominated possession and shot attempts. Canucks really struggled to generate Although much Vancouver of anything. Although a good start. Oh yeah, the first period was pretty even. Yeah. And then LA really started <laughs> It sure was. It was not exciting. It was dreadful. It was even in that both teams were bad. Both teams Canucks, were really struggling to do much of anything. But the Canucks were less bad. So that's something. But sure. Look, I worried a little bit watching it that, you know, like this is a Kings lineup. They don't have a ton of stakes here at this point, right? I mean, I guess there's a little bit of matchup stakes. For yeah, them, right? they're still, you know, trying to stay top three in the division, which. No, that matters. You know, yeah, like I would say that matters. I'd say there's something on the line. Yeah, so uh, they want to win. But it, I mean, it's, it's you know, uh, realistically, the difference between being. The second wild card, I, I guess, you know what, that is significant, right? It's Colorado or it's Edmonton. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> kind of damned if you are if you do, damned if you don't either way there. Yeah, I don't think it's, like, massive, but you still I, – I, I do think there's probably something psychological about just, like, not being a wild card team. You know what I mean? Just like, hey, we're going to finish yeah. in the top three in the division. I don't know. I, just think, I, I think there's still stakes there. Not a ton to play for. Some stakes, but not significant, right? They're not a team – playing for their lives. They've got no. a little X beside their name. They're pretty much locked into a matchup against a really difficult opponent either way. McDavid, McKinnon, pick your poison. <laughs> sounds sounds terrible, by the way. That's mm-hmm. that's a, a bad choice. Two bad, bad set of options. to pick from. Um, they're down Kevin Fiala, right? They're down their, what, second most dynamic offensive forward, arguably their first, although I got a ton of time for Adrian Kempe. Adrian Kempe trying to fight JT Miller, Miller twice. Yep. What was up there? I, it seemed like the Kings just decided, like, we've had enough of this game being completely flat. Let's go do something about it, right? Because they so started Kempe throwing their body around. Miller. They started challenging guys. And then Dersey and Sheldon Dries yep. have a whopper of a bout. Sheldon Dries. Tough guy. Sheldon Dries is a tough guy. I got so much time for Sheldon Dries, man. It's, it's, it's truly preposterous how much he's ingratiated himself. Hey, you know what? I also want to give a shout-out. Well, you know what? I'll save it for positivity. All right. I'll save it for positivity. Um, but what worried me about this game is without Fiala in the lineup and with not a ton of stakes on the line, it felt like the Canucks were kind of brushed aside pretty easily. And they, and they didn't play badly. I don't think they, like, shied away from the moment or anything. I don't think it was, like, a soft No, I don't think they the got Canucks. pushed around. No, no, you know by no mean? means. By no means did they. They were actually totally fine. Like, I don't know that there was a lot to criticize from Vancouver's performance. It's just that, you know, they the, the Kings won it going away, and they won it while beating Vancouver in their top-of-the-line minutes. Like, the minutes that Vancouver's used to counting on to win. Right? Like, in a game in which the Kings led throughout, they were only outshot 12-10 to 10 with Pedersen and Miller on the ice. Mm-hmm. They outchanced the Canucks by, like, a, a pretty decent margin um, against their top six. They outshot Quinn Hughes. No one does that. And, and it just was this moment where I'm sort of watching this worrying, like, I often talk about Edmonton and, and Vegas being, like, out of Vancouver's weight class when I project next season, because yeah, the Kings, their season's not over, right? They've got a playoff series to look ahead to. It's different for Vancouver. We're looking at a ducks in Arizona game, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're, we're looking ahead at this point. Oh yeah. So 
I just wonder, like, are the Kings also at that level? Have they reached a point where, like, rather safely, we can put them in a different weight class for next season than Vancouver alongside Edmonton and Vegas? And, And I watch that game, and I'm thinking, you know, yeah, this team probably needs Fiala and another top six producer before I'm calling them a contender or anything. But the way they move the puck north-south, the way they grind it out, uh, how deep they are in terms of lines that don't hurt you, right? Like how impressed I am by guys like Rasmus Kupari. Yeah. You know? I, I, well, just they're, they're, the lineup they're down better. the middle. Kopitar, Deneau, Lazat, Kupari is, is a really deep center group. They're flat out better. And it's not like, like who's a bigger absence, Fiala or Hironic, right? Like probably equal. Yeah. If it, Equal, probably trending toward Fiala. So... You know, I don't think this is a going into this offseason anyway, from a from a standing stop, I, I do sort of wonder if Vancouver's sort of going to be racing for a wild card spot before the action even happens, before the moves even happen, particularly given how limited their options are to improve without first you know, conducting some surgery. Yeah. yeah. Well, the the Pacific Division outlook is interesting because obviously the other big story around the NHL last night, which we should spend some time on, is it was it my meal of crow. Was my delightful <laughs> meal of crow. It was the Calgary Flames being officially eliminated from playoff contention this year after losing to Nashville in a shootout. Uh, of course, the shootout, the big, uh, you know, the big memorable thing is Daryl Sutter for some reason sending Nick Ritchie out there with the season on the line and that's it for <laughs> do Calgary. See, do you see his explanation? Yeah, he scored against UC Saros earlier this year. Ludicrous. I see, I actually think I actually I thought that I thought about this with Pedersen versus Markstrom in the shootout. Like I think it's I think familiarity is advantage goaltender. Like if you've already been beat by the guy once now you know, especially when it's Nick Ritchie who probably doesn't have like this <laughs> well, stacked repertoire of shootout moves. Well, one thing we didn't talk about the Flames, because partly because the Flames lost, but no goaltender this season, and no one's even come close, has played JT Miller's super versatile shootout move better than Markstrom did. Like, that was by far, because Markstrom outweighed him on the far end shot, which is JT Miller's first mm-hmm. option. Then he then he moved slowly, so the, um, the, the deke back... To the, the short side wasn't a, a primary option. He sort of, like, cheated on that. And then he just waited and waited and waited and outlasted JT Miller's outweight you and put it backhand softly under the bar move. And and that's the – that like, JT Miller's move is so good because he's got three really good options for you, and he can play you as he comes in slowly off that left wing. And Markstrom, Markstrom addressed all of it. You think it's because he's seen it before? You think it's because he knows J.T. Miller pretty well? Yeah. I guarantee you it is. No one else has come close to playing that move as well as Markstrom. And on the flip side, the Flames forwards, um, not threatening. They do not look – like, it's not oh. even like, oh, they're getting unlucky. It's like they don't look threatening at all. And I no. understand that defense of Daryl Sutter, but, like, you know, Andrew Mangiapane is, like, 0 for 4 in his career. That doesn't mean he's going to be bad at the shootout forever. You know what no. I mean? And he's a way better offensive player than Nick Ritchie. He's got way more offensive skill than Nick Ritchie. Like, uh, not that there was, not that they're flush with great options down the bench there, but it still doesn't make uh, much sense at all uh, to me how they <laughs> how they go out there. But the, it, it brings up so, the question, right? Because there was a ton of 
I don't want to say, want to say hype, but there was a, some expectations for Calgary this well, year. Well, right? I, I called them a juggernaut after I, turning. I thought they'd be. I thought they'd be. So Vegas never agreed with me. Vegas always had them behind both Edmonton and Vegas mm-hmm. in terms of Pacific Division odds. So shame on me for thinking I knew better than Vegas. But I really thought Calgary was going to be a credible contender, like absolutely belonged in that class as a team that could win the Pacific. Like I expected this to be, you know, a low hundreds point team. I didn't necessarily think they'd be improved having lost Kachuk and, and Gaudreau. Like I re- recognized that Huberto and Kadri were likely a downgrade, but I didn't think it would be like a 45 goal downgrade. Yeah. Um, and I thought the addition of Uyghur would, on some, make them better. Like, I thought they'd be better as a group because they added a really – they had a top-pair caliber defenseman. It didn't happen that way, right? Like, the Shillington thing, Rasmus Anderson's car accident, they go 17 and – or 7 and 17 after regulation. And here, here's the big one. Here's the big one. Calgary's combined – Shooting percentage and save percentage this year. They're five on five PDO, nine eighty. Second second worst in the league. Here's the bottom five. You ready for this? Yeah. Columbus, San Jose, Ottawa, Chicago, and Calgary. Like the fact that Calgary was alive with that at the eighty game marks actually like kind of sneaky impressive. Like you have to control play so well to do that, but. For all their control of play, you're right. They didn't look threatening. Like, well, that's the thing. So there's because there's two parts of that, right? There's right. the save percentage part and the shooting percentage part. The save percentage part, I'm not a goalie expert, so I'm not going to tell you like, oh, Jacob Markstrom's definitely going to bounce back. But I would bet on a little bit of aggression, well, and they have the, the prospect yeah, in that's, the that's, AHL. That's the thing. He doesn't right? even need to bounce so back. So I would expect save the save percentage too. part of that to go up. Yep. But the shooting percentage thing is not like sure. There's some element of bad luck there, but it's not just bad luck. No, like that was a hallmark of Daryl Sutter teams in L.A. too, right? Like Convention. they they have a, a a huge edge in shot share, but there's not always the most dangerous shots. They're not necessarily generating a ton of uh, high danger scoring chances. So like that, I, I think it's fair to look at Calgary as a team that yeah, they're going to control the puck against you pretty significantly, but are they going to be able to consistently turn that into scoring attempts? And, like, I don't think that's going away for next season. No, it's not. You know? It's not. And they're kind of locked in with their roster, right? Like, and we'll get we'll come back to that, but I want to talk about one other thing involving Calgary's play. One of the, one of the issues I do think they had, and, and we talked about this last year during the Dallas series, was – Without Shillington carrying the puck, they didn't really look dynamic enough Mm -hmm. in terms of uh, attacking from the back end. And, you know, this is no offense to guys like Noah Hannafin and Rasmus Anderson in particular, and more so those guys than Chris Tanev, because Chris Tanev remains kind of, um, you know, uh, not a a hugely impactful offensive contributor, despite being a super skilled passer in his own right. But Anderson and Hannafin have, like, really good instincts set up in zone, but they can't carry the puck they mm. can't they can't like attack through the neutral zone carry the puck and find a, a forward you know coming in late who then has space to walk into a wrist shot shillington can do that Uyghur can do that the fact that the flames never got those guys together I, I do think it left them slow on the back end and then you see guys like zadorov trying to do too much and and i do think that's a big part of the story and then obviously the the significant regression of Huberto, historic regression, going from how he scored a year ago to what, how he scored this year, Kadri as well. And yet, 
given their overtime record, and the overtime record in particular is one of those things like it's not sticky, right? Like yeah. if, if if winning games after regulation was a talent, was a skill, teams would the same teams would repeat year after year as the best teams after regulation. They don't. It's all over the place. That's luck. Right? If it's random, it's luck. Or at least it can effectively be described that because it's interchangeable. The The issue that they did have, though, was between bleeding goals against because of poor goaltending and then also not being able to get the goal they needed, they were, they were went past regulation 24 All the times. Time. Yeah. Like, they need to amp up. There are a lot of close games. They need to amp up the pace that they play at. And this sort of makes Calgary sort of the funniest wild card to consider or talk about or think about going into this offseason because they don't have a ton of cap flex. Now, they don't have a ton of expirings. They don't have, like, a ton of stuff that's going to pressure them for another year. They have yes. one more year. And and as a result, like, new general manager comes in. Like, like uh, this is just – I'm not talking about Brad Living, although his status is very much up. And I'm going through the mental exercise of, like, what would a fresh set of eyes do with this team? And I think the only rational way forward – is to run it back. Oh, 100%. Run it back with a different coach. Well, I just think if let's go through the mental exercise of let's say there is a new GM. Even if you just think about it in like a strict job security, like self uh, self-preservation point of view, like you run it back just to buy yourself a year, right? Totally. Before you come in and start making these these wild moves and, and trading all of these players. And here's the thing. If it doesn't work, you've got some really, really interesting expiring guys to work with at the deadline totally. next year. Oh, yeah. So I'm not expecting this to be like a panic backlash. Oh, we thought we were going to be really good, and now we're going to blow it up because we missed the playoffs. Like The rational move here is we're going to get some better goaltending. You just hope that, okay, Daryl Sutter is going to be around. But maybe they've got like all the we hate Daryl Sutter out of their system. Maybe maybe no. they, which they probably haven't. But maybe they just learn to cope with it no. a little better. No, you need. Then that's coach. what you hope. But he's gonna be back. Well, he, I, you don't think he's gonna be back? I don't think he should be. But that's different than Will. Like I agree with you. I'd change the coach, but I think he's gonna be back unless he's the GM. Yeah, that's true. So it, you know, and and the thing with Calgary is they've got real dark clouds uh, now gathering on the horizon especially with the the way Huberto and, and Nazem Kadri played this year and the investment that that team has made on them those are you know real problem contracts but they should still be good players for them next season yeah and so if Calgary runs it back I think there's a reasonable expectation between Dustin Wolf and and the goaltending thing if Shillington gets back in the lineup and then, um, you know, just sticking with a forward group that really effectively controlled play five on five despite a lack of success, I, I you know, I'd expect them to perform far better next season, you know, in, in a hypothetical world where they get another kick at the can under a different coach than they did this yeah, year. Yeah, and when we start to map out, like, again, how this relates to the Canucks and the kind of Pacific Division rankings for next season – they don't need to be that much better to be a playoff team. Like, we're talking like five, six, seven points, right? And then they're right yeah. there. They're in the playoffs. Well, and, so they don't yeah. need a ton of bounce back to be in the playoffs. But it's interesting because they have this disappointing season. They're still a team that the Canucks will need to jump over one way or another uh, if yeah, they're I mean, going that, to make the playoffs. That's the other thing. There's right? a 10-point gap. You're starting from the position of a 10-point gap, and you look at Calgary's fundamentals, and you say that team should be better next year even if they're – even if they're not as good true talent, right? Like, even if they take a step back, they should get better results yeah. because so many weighted coin flips went against them this year. So 
and I can throw this out to the listeners as well. 650, 650. If you were doing power rankings for the Pacific yeah, w- way Division. way too early. Yeah. 2023. Well, it's, not, it's not even that early. Like, it's, yeah, things will change. No, but it's too but you early. But know, we know the bones no, like, bones of the teams, Just, roughly. The Canucks have two games left, but, like, ha- you know, it's too early for this exercise because, like, Mark Stone returned to Vegas Golden Knights practice the other day in sure. a non-contact jersey. If he returns in the playoffs and looks like Mark Stone. Which, yeah, he, he's definitely returning in the playoffs. <laughs> For sure, but if he returns in the pl- so if he returns in the playoffs, proves to be durable for a month or two, and looks like Mark Stone, like that, that's probably enough for me to flip one and two in in the power rankings. So it is way too early, and plus, you know, you never know. Hopefully, it doesn't happen. Knock on wood. But like, there's severe injuries that happen in the playoffs. Yep. Like it's a physical game. There's a lot of risk. So uh, it is way too early. But it's not too early for Canucks fans to look ahead yeah. to next season. So a way too early 2023-24 Pacific Division power rankings. That's going to be our exercise. Yes. So I'll 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 start. I'll run Whoa, through. Oh, let's. let's oh, okay. All right. All right. Let's. Why don't we? Why don't we? Why don't we go in segment two? Why don't we let it? Why don't we let response? All right. Pool? All right. And and feel free to tear it. You know we love to ask you to give us your tears. Yes. So give us your tears. What what is it? What does the Pacific Division pecking order look like going into the Canucks offseason, if yes. not the offseason starting for else. starting this week. Hit Sorry, us up. I don't I don't mean to be pedantic about like oh let's do it in the next segment. Let's. It's still care. way too early, Jamie. You don't you don't don't at this point you don't have to apologize for being pedantic. <laughs> it just comes with the territory. It's fine. It's built in. Don't pull a Bo Horvat and walk it back. Just embrace it. You're right. Okay, my bad. <laughs> it is who I am. Oh, I'm pedantic. Oh. I'll, I'll eat a little more crow. Yeah. All right. So hit us up, 650, 650. How do you see? Right now, yes, it's too early, yada, yada, yada. How do you see <laughs> the Pacific Division stacking How up dare you? for next year? We'll go through the exercise. We'll talk about it uh, in the next segment. It is Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. It's Jamie Dodd. It's Thomas Drance. Live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. We were talking uh, just before the break. Going to do the exercise of the uh, Pacific way too early Pacific Division power rankings uh, for next season. How do you expect the Pacific Division to shake out next year? Where will the Canucks figure? And, you know, we're doing this in light of, one, the interesting performance from uh, L.A. or the impressive performance from L.A. last night against the Canucks. And then also, of course, Calgary uh, being eliminated from the playoffs by losing in a shootout to Nashville. Uh, lots of text coming in, uh, and you can do it by tiers. You can do it just by in order, however you want. I'll run through mine first, and you can tell me uh, what I get wrong or what I get right here, Drancer. And I, I actually, just looking at it, I actually think it sets up really well into four tiers of two between the eight teams. So I'll give you my tiers. Number one, Edmonton and Vegas. Tier one. Tier two, LA and Calgary. Tier three, Seattle and Vancouver. Tier four, Anaheim, San Jose. And roughly in that order within those tiers, but it wouldn't shock me, obviously, to see, you know, Calgary finish above LA or Vegas finish above Edmonton or anything like that. But that's how I see it. The kind of playoff locks, quote unquote locks, so we know weird things can happen in Edmonton and Vegas. Strong playoff contenders in LA and Calgary. 
maybe fringe playoff contenders in Seattle and Vancouver, and then the also-rans in Anaheim and San Jose. Yeah, so I, I do have uh, some disagreement with you. I have I have the Oilers as a, as a one. And just the, by themselves. Just by themselves. There's yeah, I can see that. There's something fragile about the Golden Knights to me. Like, I think they're good, but I, I don't know how the Robin Leonard situation plays out, and that to me is deeply – like, creates a, a high level of uncertainty and volatility, even though they've proved they can cobble together a decent goaltending tandem. Um I love their defense core, but their forwards are getting up there, Mm -hmm. getting a little long in the tooth. And if we're talking about them competing with the Oilers, right? Like we're talking about this team that's just an absolute offensive buzzsaw. Like the Oilers' margin is so great in terms like they can withstand a bad season of goaltending. They can withstand, uh, you know, all manner of different things because of just how good their top end is. Like, Honestly, I think they could withstand an injury for 50 games to one of their top players. They're so deep in terms of like high-end skill. Mm-hmm. So the Oilers for me are number one, and and I think almost in, in a different tier. And then I'd put the Golden Knights and the Kings together. So I, I agree with you there as a second tier. I would put Seattle in a different tier than Calgary simply because they're going to have like $20 million in cap space. Well, I had LA and Calgary together. Right. And then I had so so you'd have Seattle above Calgary. No, below uh, I'm having Seattle above Calgary. Interesting. Okay. I Seattle's going to have so much cap flexibility and I think they're Cal, Seattle's going to have so much cap flexibility and they arguably have like the best U21 player in the division. In Matty Veneers. Yeah. Yeah. So so their upside to me is just like really big, right? Like Calgary I think would struggle to win the division in a way that like I can see it with the Kraken if they use $20 million to like pull off another Bjorkstrand heist mm-hmm. if Maddie Beneers takes a step and if they fix their goaltending. Well, and this is where for me, and you still have Vegas above Seattle, but like this is where the MO of the front office plays such a big role. Totally. Because yeah. you're right about some of the frailties in Vegas and like the age of the forwards. But the one thing we know, if we're, like, if we're just ranking for next year, the one thing we know is Vegas is like, Gonna going to do everything the they can to try to add talent, to try to add yep. top-of-the-lineup talent, right? So, like, I'm kind of factoring that in when I look at their situation, knowing that they're not going to be – like, they're not going to look at it and be like, oh, okay, we're getting a little old. Let's have a, a conservative consolidation no. year. We're, they're going to push. Whereas Seattle, they, they might look at everything you just laid out, right, and said – Okay, let's keep our powder dry a little bit here, right? Yeah. Like, we're not in a rush to take that next but, step. But they can afford to keep their powder dry and, right? Like, they can maintain cap space and still buy a guy from a cap strap team. Like, they could go buy, you know, um, a Derek Forbert probably for, like, extremely cheap. And then they're not even worried about Carson Soucy leaving, mm. right? And they could probably find... Or at least roll the dice on a goalie who's overpriced somewhere else, right? Like, there's uh, there's all sorts of options available to the Kraken that I, I think aren't really available to the Oilers, the Golden Knights, or the Kings, all of whom are facing, like, pretty tricky off-seasons. Like, for the Kings, by the time you pay Gabe Velarde, who's arbitration eligible, right, extend Rasmus Kupari, and they're probably not going to have the flexibility to take the sort of gamble that I would want to see them take on on a player like Kupari who doesn't have the counting stats or the arbitration eligibility but looks so good to me. Mm-hmm. And um, and they have to, surely they have to re-sign Corpusala. Like, have to. You would think so. He's been so good there. And it's like, that's it. 
that's that's their entire offseason. Even doing all of those three things might require them selling a Sean Walker or a Matt Roy for pennies on the dollar and just relying on, honestly, maybe even a Sean Dursey and relying on Brant Clark coming in and doing it on his ELC. So I think the Kings are like a year out from having the flexibility to take a quantum leap. I think this is going to have to be a pretty conservative offseason, almost a crunchy one for them. So they're not going to be the, I, I just, they're going to be hard pressed to take the sort of step um, unless Byfield and Velarde like improve, right? Like unless it's internal. Yeah. But I think that, but I mean, you look at it where they are right now, like I, I would imagine them to kind of hover around a hundred point team, right? Yeah. Which, yeah, is- which is, Hey, if you're, if you're going to have a conservative season with a hundred point team, that's still young. That's great. That's fantastic. <laughs> yes. That's where you want to be. Um, and then I'd put Calgary with like some concern because yeah. they're so volatile. And I, I did want to say somebody texted in just as we were talking about Calgary. You guys are ignoring all their 32 and 33 year olds uh, being one year older next year. I that is th- like that's true. That's a fair point. That's a good point to bring up. There's a lot like most of their key players are out of their statistical prime. Oh, way out. You know what I mean? So like when you have that many guys. Yes, you can make individual cases for all of them. Be like, well, actually, no. If you look at it, they're still going to be good next year. But like, there's, you're just adding up a lot of regression well, risk at that point. Well, and you're, uh, yeah, exactly. Like the thing about aging in hockey too is it's like for every Joe Pavelski, right? You get a guy who like absolutely falls off a cliff, and like maybe can adapt their game, but usually not right away, right? Like think about um, Jamie Ben's bounce back this season. It's not like he, mm. you know, he he sort of lost that first step. And it took him a couple of years to figure out how to succeed with diminished physical tools. And that's totally fine, by the way. Like, good for him. He's been awesome this year. But, like, it's not necessarily a, an immediate process. So, I, Calgary definitely has like some even, aging risk. Even Andrew Mangiapane, who is, like, I still kind of think of as, like, the young guy in Calgary. He's, he's like 27. Yeah. <laughs> he's 27. It's like, that's that's not young at no, all. No. Well, and Elias Lindholm and even Rasmus Anderson, right? Yeah. I mean, they're, they're an old team. Like, they're, frankly, an old team, which yeah. is why I'd have them below – LA and Seattle despite all of the underlying profile stuff that looks good to me or looks like a uh, positive from the perspective of, the, of them bouncing back um Vancouver's obviously next right mm-hmm. and I mean Vancouver's just so tied up like they're just so tied up we can't even like Gavrikov had a great game and I'd love to I'd love for the focus of our discussion today, for example, to be like, how would he fit? How does Gavrikov fit next year? Just <laughs> talking about way too early. Yeah. I love we're all just like, oh, yeah, he'll be here. He's going to be here. How right? would a guy like that fit? Yeah. But, I mean, until they move like a contract or two in another flat cap season with most of their money invested on the wings or most of the money they'd want to move being tied into players who have trade protection and like inconveniently structured bonuses. It's like, man, good luck. Like, there's so much work to do to even begin to do the sort of stuff that could put the Canucks higher up this list. And then and then Anaheim, San Jose, and obviously I'd have Anaheim ahead of San Jose given the cap flexibility, but <laughs> the lottery will determine the seating. Yeah, uh, one of the first texts we got on this was Curtis Olin texting in, uh, if Anaheim gets Bedard, the whole Pacific Division is flipped on its back. No. And not for next year, but like – no, but if Anaheim it makes gets, them, it makes them a lot more interesting than they would be any otherwise. If, if Anaheim gets Bedard, I'm probably moving them ahead of the Canucks. I don't think I'm moving them Ooh. any higher up the list, but I'm probably moving them ahead of the Canucks. Uh, I want to read some of the rankings that have come in here. This one uh, unsigned says top tier: the Oilers and the Golden Knights. It's a pretty pretty popular uh, decision. You can understand why. He also includes the Flames. Says brackets bounce back year in the top tier. Uh, mushy middle tier: the Kraken, the Canucks, and the Kings. 
and then the sharks and the ducks in the tank tier. And one thing you'll notice, like we had it in our rankings, a lot of people texting in is like the top two and the bottom two, not a lot of debate about that. How you want to order that kind of middle four, uh, there's a lot more disagreement, a lot more uncertainty about that. Uh, This text comes in, it's Andrew from Langley, and I think he basically uh, has my exact ranking. So of course, I got to read this one from Andrew and Langley, who says, uh, tier one, or number one, contenders for the cup, Edmonton, McDavid, Dreisaitl will do their same shtick, but the evolution of Ryan Nugent Hopkins, the additions of Hyman and Eckholm, emergence of Stuart Skinner makes them tops. Uh, two, Vegas, if Mark Stone is healthy. Three, LA, they need another, uh, they need a legitimate number one goalie and another dynamic center before they ascend to contender status. Four, Calgary, uh, says they will rebound. Too many down seasons, only one way to go up. Five, Seattle. They don't have enough game-breaking talent. Uh, Six, the Canucks. Too many things to fix in one summer to try to bring them back uh, to respectability. And then he says the the bottom-of-the-barrel burnt offerings, (laughs) Anaheim and San Jose in seven and eight. I agree with much of what Andrew uh, from Langley has to say there. Good rankings from Andrew from Langley. And you can continue to send uh, your Pacific Division rankings in uh, right now. This one comes in. 650, 650 to the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, if I must tier the Pacific, I would have top tier Knights, Kings, then Kraken and Flames, then Oilers and Canucks. He says Oilers need to find steady goaltending. Uh, Canucks will get some big pieces healthy on forward, but they need to figure out the blue line and get some depth for when you have an injury. I mean, the Oilers have found the steady goaltending. The 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 Pacific Division at this point is like the goalie contract issues division, right? You think about John Gibson, yes, okay, Cal Peterson. That's a tough one. You know Cal Peterson's cap hit actually increases for next season if you buy him out? Ouch. (laughs) Ouch. It's not what you want. You literally can't do it because you're better off burying him in the American League. Like, how LA navigates that, what they're willing to pay to get off of it, that's going to be, like, a fascinating subplot to me. And, of course, the biggest problem with goalies is, like, you part with Sean Dursey to incentivize Chicago to take him on or, or whatever they have to do. And then he's like nine fifteen. Next yeah, year. he's like, you know, totally like fine. It's, it's and then the they Jake, trade him. Yeah, yeah, like for a real return. The the Jacob Markstrom contracts now looking a little dicey, right? Andrew, oh sorry, Andrew, um, Jack Campbell, woof. Philip Grubauer and Chris Dreger, like the Kraken have two. I mean, one thing, one thing. Like I saw some people dunking on. Remember the people who said the Canucks should have kept Markstrom and traded Demko. And it's like, the Canucks are about to miss the playoffs for the third consecutive year since losing Markstrom with the second lowest save percentage in the NHL. Like, I don't know that this is the time to make that dunk. But Demko's obviously awesome. Yeah, and just if, as you said, just, like, take a spin around goaltending situations in the division. Oh, Like, factoring in talent and well, contract I, I didn't even situation. bring up Leonard. Yeah. I didn't even bring up whatever's going on there. So, if the Canucks can get a healthy starter season out of Demko, like, man, that's a huge atom bomb to be holding in their arsenal versus the rest of these teams. Like, literally, some of these teams are going to have their entire off-seasons built around navigating their goalie situations. And and Vancouver, I, I don't think, is totally free of that. Like, I still think you need to be cognizant of the 30 games that Demko shouldn't play. Yeah, but that's a much different problem to solve than, like, we have this guy. We have a guy making five million that we're gonna have to put in the age. No, but I, I, I mean, not, I'm not saying it's not an issue. Sorry, yeah, you gotta address right. it. You're right, but it's, it's not like, oh my gosh, this it's is going way, to blow up our season. It's a way smaller issue than 
Cal Peterson costs more to buy out than he does to bury in the American League? For sure. Yeah. No question. <laughs> That's not great. That's a really tough one. That's a really tough one. But, like, we can't minimize it either, right? I mean, legitimately, Demko's injury absolutely sunk this team's season. I mean, there were other factors there, obviously. But, they, I, you can't have Demko playing 13 and 17. You can't do what this team has done basically every time he's been healthy and run him into the ground. You you need to be way more careful about managing his workload and building in, you know, some insurance should he struggle or get hurt at some point next year. You have to. Yeah, it's on the to-do list. It's, no, There's it's, no doubt about it. For me, it. it's almost existential. You can't get the best out of him if he's if you're counting on him playing 65. You can't. I don't I, And that's not just a Demko thing. I don't think I don't think there's a single goalie in the league you want playing. No, that you don't want that to be the plan, plan for sure. Uh, this one, uh, unsigned texter says uh, regarding Andrew from Langley saying too many down years for the Flames, nowhere to go but up. How can you say that after watching the Knucks for the last decade? It says Calgary feels like it's going to crumble. I mean that is a fair point. Like the idea of well, it can't get worse, as you point out. Like if Daryl Sutter is still there, who knows? If Daryl Sutter is still like throwing his weight around and trying to prove points by doing things like running Nick Ritchie out in the uh, in the shootout in a crucial game. Like, I guess. Yeah. That, that's, a, that's a fair point to keep I, in mind. It can always get worse. I mean, the one thing, yeah, the other thing that Calgary does sort of have, and, like, it's too bad that they made such a dramatic error on from, from their perspective. I mean, it's good for Canucks fans. But the fact that they made such a dramatic error on Yusuf Valimaki, mm. you know, like, that's tough. And, you know, the way Daryl Sutter's used Jacob Pelleche needs to be watched with wide eyes because you know between Coronado Zari and Peliche, like as aging as the Flames are like one thing Canucks fans should remember is like the Flames have a way better prospect system well like, they and have guys way more talent like, knocking on the door right now right yeah. who are ready to step in and make an impact and there's like no one close to having the sort of ceiling as a Peliche or a Zari in the Canucks system at the moment I mean I guess I guess LeCaramacchi's close but but again, that's a long-term thing. Well, that's not a, that's not a next year or yeah, even the Ratu, year after that. Ratu's close too, but uh, but too, you know, it feels like we're not even talking about Ratu as a possibility for next year. I mean, isn't that just taking our cues from the organization? You know what I mean? Well, like, taking, they, uh, and taking our cues from what he's done in the American League. Yeah, but like to me, that's a it's nice if it happens, but you're not banking on it. Which, and I think I don't think the organization is banking on it at all either, which I think no. is the right move, 100% the right move. And sorry, I just want to qualify, which is not to criticize how a 20-year-old's performing in the American League. Like, good luck. You know, no 20-year-olds play really well in the American League. Yeah. It's a really tough league at that age, uh, at an age where CHL players still aren't eligible, right? So credit to him, right? Like, he's he's had a really promising AHL season all told, but if he was going to be an option for next season, you you would think it, it would be a little more explosive and the club would be talking about it a little differently. Yeah, exactly, right? And they, the, everything they've kind of signaled is that expect him to be in the AHL and kind of slow cook a little bit next year, which is fine. Do you think we see Vitaly uh, – this is a complete digression, but do you think we see Vitaly Kratsov on the top line again tonight? <sighs> I don't know. Probably not. He was the low man in ice time. Yep. And, like – so maybe he starts there, but then is the low man in ice time again, right? And it's, like, not really a first-line role, even though he's kind of nominally on the first line. Like, that wouldn't shock me if we see kind of a repeat of that performance. I don't know. What do you expect? I think I think they'll just play him two more games top line. Yeah. Like, 
it's a no, f- like nominally top line. It's a free look. Right now, it's just a free look, and you keep him there. Jack Stadnika, does he stay in the lineup? Because I thought he had a really tough game last night. I think you got to get. You, well, I don't say got to, but you probably want to get Aiden McDonough another game here. But in the last two, I would think so. Stadnika or Kraftsov, and probably not Kraftsov because of his situation, is is the guy to come out. Did it look like McWard and Hirose hit the wall? To you uh, I don't know about hit the wall as much as I would say yes. Like I thought, there's played, going to be ups and downs. I thought, I thought, I thought they played poorly relative to the s- extremely high standard they'd set in their appearances to this. Point. But is that hitting the wall, or is that like young players getting used to the NHL having fluctuations in performance? You know what I mean? Maybe that's just well, a semantic well, argument. S- yeah, it is. I, I, I mean, <laughs> no, no, no. Because what I literally what I mean is. AHL guy comes up, burst of adrenaline. Right. Looks totally different for five games than they do if you give them 20. Right? And for a guy who's not even, like, these two guys have never even played pro hockey until this week or, like, two weeks ago, in Hiroshi's case, you know, that wall is going to come faster and harder. And and I, I just, I was watching the game and I was just like, I, I do sort of think this is the beginning of where, like, we're not going to, necessarily be making Chris Tanev comparisons for Hiroshi, um, you know, uh, as this week unfolds. Uh, that would be my expectation at this point. Yeah, I mean, it all, every, so much of what we're talking about now, like there's this thirst for answers, and I completely understand it, but we're realistically, we're not going to start getting them until training camp. You know what I mean? Like it's going to be a totally. completely different situation well, and, and for Hiroshi. Like, and in McWard's, I think, totally different situation for the two of them. Yeah. Right? Like Hiroshi needs to be bidding to make this team next year. Needs to. McWard, he's got some development time. Yeah, he can go down to the AHL. Uh, more text coming in about the Pacific Division and uh, also people taking some uh, some pleasure in Calgary uh, being out of as it they as should. well. Which is like, yeah, I mean, the, yeah, the, the, the biggest geographical rival or just rival in general for the Canucks eliminated from the playoffs in part because you beat them in a shootout on Saturday night. And also so funny that their season ends on two shootout losses. Yeah, like they didn't that. even lose to have their – like they, uh, but – there's a reason the Germans have a word for this. Schadenfreude. Yeah, yeah there's, there's there's a reason. it's great. It's awesome. Um, anyways, these ones come in. Uh, Peter and Cloverdale. I'm still confused why Calgary didn't fire Sutter. The new coach bump would have got them into the playoffs. It should have been a discussion at least. And really, the reason it comes down to is like he's the kingmaker in the organization right now. He holds he holds the power. Totally. You're right. You you bring in like a fun. Up-tempo, positive coach halfway through with that kind of talent and that kind of, like, veteran polish on that team. Yeah, you're going to see a big bump. I still think that could be the case for next year. Bruce I just Boudreaux, don't see it happening. Bruce Boudreaux would have won a cup. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't know if that's true. But he would have absolutely, like, if you hire, if the Flames hire Bruce Boudreaux 30 games ago, this team makes the playoffs. I would love to see Boudreaux just, like, wrap up his career by being like the specialist who comes in, it's like okay, you've had a, a hard ass kitchen coach. nightmares with Bruce Boudreaux. You've had a hard ass coach for a couple years. He taught you all how to play defense and got you playing this structure. Now you're tired of him, and it's December. You're like six points out of the playoffs, despite everyone thinking you were going to win the division. This sucks. Just go hire Bruce Boudreaux <laughs> and just do that every year. Like that's the perfect situation for him to come into. Oh man, I'm so here for this, by the way, but also like. You know, the um, Bruce, like, honestly, Bruce Boudreaux is like NHL team Gordon Ramsay, where he, like, comes in. Except and much a, nicer. Yeah. 
Gordon Ramsay's nice to the people who work hard and stuff. <laughs> yes, that's true. Like Gordon Ramsay, Gordon Ramsay comes in and he finds the person who's actually in it for the right reasons and then empowers the like Gordon Ram- Kitchen Nightmares is Gordon Ramsay finds one good person, empowers them and makes it all work. That's the whole point of the show. How much of it do you watch? Uh, I I've only really ever seen like the one with like Hell's Kitchen. Right, you're the, yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, no, no. Kitchen. I haven't seen a lot of it. I'm not. I'm not super familiar K- with his work. Gordon Ramsay comes in and is very, very kind to like the people who deserve it, and very, very mean to the people who are like stealing. Which, like, that's not that's mean. fair. That's yeah, it's professional. Gordon Ramsay gets gets a bad rap just because people expect him to be like blonde Simon Cowell. Anyway, um, yeah, I I literally want this Netflix series, Bruce Boudreau turnaround specialist, hockey team nightmares. Yeah, where he comes in and reinvigorates. At, at clubs in midseason because he's just so darn likable. Yeah, it'd be great. Uh, this one comes in. Uh, if Huberto doesn't bounce back, woof, that's a tough contract for Calgary. That's a bad uh, one. Along with long-term Kadri so, and Markstrom in a couple of years. He could bounce back next season, and it's still a woofy still contract in, unless this team like goes on a couple deep runs in the next two years. Yeah, like, and that, You literally it, have to have success right away. And the thing is, like again, as we just talked about, like you're not when we're doing this exercise, we're not just evaluating – you know, the cap situation, the roster, you're also evaluating, like, what are the pressures, what are the motivations for the team? And, like, Calgary just gave out those deals to Kadri, Huberdo, Uyghur. They're not going to throw in the towel on that experiment after one year where you narrowly miss the playoffs with all of these things going against you. You know what I mean? When you commit that kind of money to those players, you're going to take another kick at the can, at least one more on it, right? So, like, that should be the expectation, that they're going to go into this offseason thinking, like, okay, that was bad. We just got to reset and try this again. Some uh, some Hell's Hell's Kitchen or um or Kitchen Nightmares coming in. What is the basic hockey version of basic pub food? Like a good forecheck. The Philadelphia Flyers. <laughs> I have no idea what that means. It's just like, just like oh, it's unremarkable fish and chips at this tourist trap pub on the Thames. <laughs> See, I thought they meant like basic pub food done well. No, you no, know no. what I mean, like the fundamentals. Oh, I like think nail chicken wings and fish and chips. Oh, because okay. that can be done well. Oh, yeah. you know what I mean, and like great building blocks for a restaurant L- if it's of, done well. Lots of places I could shout out that I think do it well, but um, no, I I took it to mean like because basic basic pub food is like usually what Gordon Ramsay right would, like, right right. Criticize. It's like it's like not impressive. It's yeah, just it's like, like, you're just rolling the basics. It's out like there. are these peas canned? <laughs> That's yeah. Philadelphia Flyers. The Philadelphia Flyers. There you go. Basic pub food. Uh, Lots more coming up in the show. We will talk to uh, our pal Jack Fraser. Jay Fresh on Twitter. Lots to get into with Jack. Uh, Calgary Pacific Division. Eric Carlson hits 100 points last night. We'll look ahead to the playoffs a little bit. Keep your text coming in as well. It is Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Vancouver sports fans. Halford and Bruff in the morning. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance here. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, keeping you at the top of your game. Now found together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net and 650 
650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Now joining us uh, on the phone line, he is uh, an essential follow on hockey Twitter. Jay Fresh on Twitter, Jack Fraser, writer at EP Rinkside. Uh, Jack, thanks as always for doing this. How are you? Not too bad. It's actually nice here in Toronto for the first time in about four months. So Congratulations. Congratulations. Yeah, we're still kind of waiting for spring here, too. Just in time for opening day. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Um, so we've really been uh, picking over Calgary getting eliminated uh, in the shootout against Nashville, officially eliminated from playoff contention last night. When you look at Calgary's season, like what do you see that really ended up sinking them uh, this year? Well, they had a lot of obviously massive roster turnover and, you know, it wasn't all completely miserable. I, I think fans might be a little disappointed with, with Mackenzie Weger, but just because he wasn't putting up points doesn't mean he wasn't contributing, but there's no doubt that replacing Johnny Gaudreau and, and Matthew Kachuk with Nazem Kadri and Jonathan Huberdeau did not go quite according to plan. Uh, I, I think one of the bigger disappointments for the Flames is just is how it happened. You know, this wasn't a team that was playing perfectly mediocre hockey uh, or was a complete disaster. It was a team that kept getting to the precipice of winning games and then just not doing it. They would blow leads. Uh, they would get to overtime and then lose. I, I mean, their record in one-goal games is pretty astounding, and that's something that will usually regress the other direction. But, uh, you know, I think you also have to consider with this team, with Daryl Sutter as the coach, He's a, a huge upside coach, as we saw last year when he deservedly won the Jack Adams. But I think as soon as things start to go wrong, they really sour with that guy. And and there have been plenty of rumors going on in Calgary about players starting to tune him out or, or already having issues. And I mean, he's only been the coach for two and a half seasons at this point. So a lot of disappointment, a lot of bad luck. But at the same time, I, I think maybe you see the roots of something bigger and more damaging and, and as this team gets older that that could keep them out of the playoffs for the next couple seasons jack when you look at like the bottom five teams by combined save and and, and shooting percentage this season um it's a bunch of teams that are going to be very excited about the lottery and then this calgary flames team that uh, yeah. was eliminated from the playoffs with two shootout losses uh in a row against nashville and vancouver um how concerned would you be about some of that ephemeral stuff given their their overall underlying profile? Um, and what do you expect from them this offseason? Well, I mean, as for what happens this offseason, uh, who knows? I mean, they, <laughs> they really don't have a, a huge amount of space and they have to make some huge decisions about players like Elias Lindholm. As far as the PDO and the regression stuff goes, I think that's absolutely the case. You know, again, the one-goal games thing, we've seen teams in the past get out of the playoff picture because of those one-goal games. Then the next season, they have a perfectly regular record in those. Uh, and, and the PDO, I mean, half of that, of course, is the goaltending. And that was a huge story this year. I mean, Jacob Markstrom really kind of, you know, collapsing. Uh, and, and look, you know, he wouldn't necessarily have been in my Vesna conversation last year. I feel like he was very well insulated by that Calgary defense, and people were maybe building him up to be something that, that he wasn't. But certainly, you know, whatever baseline you're talking about, he was way, way worse this year. Uh, just completely unreliable uh, behind, I think, what was a pretty good defensive team. Uh, yeah, so the shooting, I mean, 
a lot of that can be, you know, can come down to not only the system that's in place, but also how the team plays when they're frustrated. There's a lot of outside shots, uh, a lot of just peppering goalies, uh, you know, with, with chances that aren't particularly dangerous. And once you're in that kind of frustrated mold, the way that Calgary was so often this season, you're seeing a lot more outside shots being forced, and that's going to drive your PDO down. Uh, if you look at some of the more detailed track data from guys like Corey Schneider, who looks at how you know teams generate shots and chances, you really see that the Flames had no trouble getting pucks towards the net, but it was getting the pucks towards the net from actual dangerous parts of the ice. That was a lot more of a challenge for them this year than it was when they had guys like Gaudreau and Kachuk. You know, one of the points that uh, a listener brought up to us actually when we were talking about the Flames and their, you know, their prognosis for next season was, hey, they have a lot of guys in that 32, 33, 31 range. Like you just go down the list, uh, you know, key players, Kadri, Backlund, Toffoli, Coleman, Tanev, you know, even Huberto turns 30 this summer. Like how much does that concern you when you have so many guys who are right in that range where they're past their peak and, you know, the, the potential, at least, for a significant drop-off in any of them becomes really, uh, really magnified. Oh, uh, hugely. I mean, the way this team was constructed uh, in the past offseason was to maximize the next couple of years. I think they figured, you know, they had a Jack Adams winning coach. They were adding a guy who, for many people, was in the Hart Trophy conversation last year, Nazem Kadri, of course, having such huge production. They had Mackenzie Weger, who was a, a huge part of that Panthers team. You know, they absolutely were thinking, okay, we're just going to keep trying to win now. And so when you go from that attitude to suddenly being outside the playoff picture, I, I think that understandably throws a lot of doubt into what your team's timeline is going to be. And the Flames aren't exactly stocked with prospect talent. And barring some lottery magic this year, I don't think they can really expect to have uh, anything amazing coming their way. Uh, in this draft, or at least anything that can really help them in the short term. Uh, the, the best hope for the Flames, I think, is to be able to maybe add a little bit more talent in the summer and then, you know, run it back and, and hope that the bounces just end up going their way, which it wouldn't shock me if they end up looking better and, and ending up, you know, in the playoff picture next season. Uh, but when you factor in the age of their players, there's definitely a chance that mediocrity is where they're bound for the next couple of years. And then it could take a, a sour turn after that. Jack, you, you seem pretty bearish on, on Calgary all around. We, we were playing a game of tiering uh, way too early. The Pacific division teams ahead of the uh, Canucks 2020 uh, or off season for the 2023, 2024 campaign. How would you rank um, what you'd expect from the Pacific Division teams going into next season, obviously with the caveats that like we don't know uh, what Mark Stone looks like in the playoffs or who gets hurt or where Bedard goes. So, um, you know, we won't hold you to it. But just as a as sort of a, a tracking signpost as the Canucks enter their offseason, how do you rate the teams in the Pacific? Well, I mean, there's so much work the Canucks have to do. I've I've always believed in the cornerstone pieces they have in place you know, in terms of like the number one center, the number one defenseman, the number one goalie, that's that's not anything to complain about. And, and they do have some decently talented players around it, but there's just so much work that they're going to need to do to get that team to be, you know, not, not only a team that can kind of ride the new coach bump and start to look at at the end of a regular season. I mean, we've seen teams like Ottawa do that, for example, you know, but not necessarily with a new coach, but you know, once they're kind of out of the mix, they suddenly start to look pretty good. If they're going to be able to 
really compete with the Pacific Division, which, you know, I think actually has quite a bit of upside at this point now that Vegas is back in form uh, with the Kings looking the way that they do with Seattle. You know, I think their season this year is a little bit of found money, and I would expect some regression from them next year. But they just have the obviously high-end young talent that's going to be joining their roster soon. Um, and then the Oilers, obviously, against all odds, have really managed to figure it out uh, around McDavid and Dreisaitl. It's going to be a real uphill battle. Like they're going to be, if they're going to be in the playoffs next next year, I think they're going to have to fight for a wild card spot. And the Flames are going to be, I think, clinging to their competitiveness as hard as they can. So at, at least, you know, I don't think they really have to worry about the Ducks and and the Sharks in the near future. You know, not next year maybe, but uh, it, it's really going to be, I think, a lot more difficult sledding in that Pacific Division than it maybe has been for the past couple of years. In conversation with uh, Jack Fraser here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Uh, and, and just flipping over to uh, the Eastern Conference and checking in on the playoff race there. Uh, your Penguins, they, they control their destiny uh, with games remaining against uh, the Blackhawks and the Blue Jackets, two of the bottom feeders. So home free, right? Like nothing can go wrong from here for the Penguins, right? Yeah, uh, having the attitude that nothing can go wrong for the Penguins this year has uh, has definitely paid off for me <laughs> so many times. But... Yeah, no, yeah. Like, they, I mean, they control I, I, their I, own it, fate it, and they'll do it just uh, in a business-like professional fashion, I'm sure. Well, I mean, it is the best situation because, you know, if if they can't beat those two teams, then they don't belong in the playoffs. And, you know, I, I do think they're – them and, and Florida as well are two teams that have been better than their records uh, in terms of – you know, like it doesn't matter whether you're looking at private models or public models or, or whoever. Those teams do outshoot their opponents. They outchance their opponents. They really generate a lot. It's just they haven't necessarily gotten the saves. And, and in the case of both teams, they just haven't been able to put the puck in the net even when they get those great chances. Um, and, you know, that's the kind of thing that can turn on a dime in the playoffs. Uh, I, I'm, you know, as a Penguins fan, obviously, I'm hoping that they get the opportunity to do that. Uh, but I, I, again, I mean, Chicago, Columbus, if you can't beat those two teams, what are you supposed to be doing against the Boston Bruins or the Carolina Hurricanes? So we'll see. Jack, the third team in that mix, the New York Islanders, is obviously of interest to, to Vancouver Canucks fans, particularly in the wake of some pointed commentary uh, from Bo Horvat. <laughs> the other day how's Horvat performed we know what the counting stats look like and they look unremarkable to say the least but how's he actually performed since the trade yeah I, I as much as I would love to throw some red meat here to the listeners and say that he's been completely awful no that's not what we do on the show <laughs> <laughs> this is this is one case where I don't think the counting stats are, are really telling the story and, and I think there's a reason that Whenever Canucks fans bring up the counting stats, they immediately get hit by a torrent of Islanders fans who are singing his praises. Uh, I, I mean, he has had to, I think, cover a lot of ground for them, especially when Barzal was out. Uh, the bounces haven't been there. I mean, the on-ice shooting is, is extremely low. I think it's, it's safe to say that his crazy finishing that we saw earlier this season in Vancouver, where it seemed like every puck that he tipped in front was heading to the back of the net, I mean, that was always bound to regress, and it, it obviously has. Uh, you know, he's not scoring 60 goals or anything. But at, at the same time, you know, he really has been, I think, driving play uh, at, at, two end, at both ends of the ice uh, to them, maybe even in a way that, that he never fully got the chance to do in Vancouver. The pucks aren't going in, and, and they're running out of road for them to, to actually get in the back of the net, at least this season. 
But I, I think that, you know, when you see Islanders fans who are pleased with what they've gotten from him in the, you know, down the stretch here, I don't think that's entirely just coping. I, I think that they are genuinely have a, have a good reason to believe that he's going to be able to contribute for them at a high level for at least the next couple of years, even if we may take qualms with, you know, the decision they made to, to trade for a rental and then uh, give him an eight-year contract. Uh, one of those three teams, Florida, the Islanders, Pittsburgh, with all respect to Buffalo, they're major, major long shots still at this point. But one of those three teams is going to end up facing the juggernaut Boston Bruins in the first round. Of those teams, Florida, the Islanders, Pittsburgh, who do you see having the best shot to pull off a, a massive upset against the Bruins? Well, so I have a, there's the stats answer and then there's the gut answer. Sure. The, the stats answer for me would be the Panthers. They've just been running roughshod over everybody lately. I mean, if you watched that game they had against uh, Toronto yesterday, I mean, they, they easily should have won that game. They were by far the better team. Um, they've been a team that has been controlling chances, controlling shots all season long. I've had downcast Panthers fans talking to me about how miserable and, and useless the team is, even while they've been doing this all season. And now finally down the stretch, they've walked into gear. And a lot of that has to do with Matthew Kachuk, who I think – if they make the playoffs, uh, should definitely be uh, top three for the Hart Trophy. Um, I mean, he's he's been unbelievable. Uh, that team could be really dangerous, and, and they do have question marks in net, but I, I do think that they've been pretty underrated. But, you know, I mean, the gut answer, it, you're really tempted to say the New York Islanders, not only for how often they've just managed to snap it into gear in the playoffs for the past couple of years. You know, they're kind of that team that, once they get into the playoffs, they seem to be able to, to find that gear to, to turn into a real competitor. But they also definitely have the best goalie out of the three teams, you know, with, with Ilya Sorokin having, I think, a, a Vezina candidate-level season. He's been pretty consistent in the past, and he's been also pretty great in the playoffs as well. So if anybody was going to goalie the Bruins and drive them crazy, I, I think he could do it, even if maybe the team in front of them isn't quite as good as those other two. Jack, where 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 are you with the NBA playing beginning tonight? I'm very excited, by the way. Where are you on team playing? Would you have appetite for a Florida, Pittsburgh, New York Islanders, Buffalo, um, Seattle, Winnipeg, Calgary, Nashville, um, do or die round next week, or uh, does it just not make sense in hockey? Nope, hate it, hate it, not a fan. I like the 16-team playoffs. Don't think there's anything wrong with it. I thought maybe being a fan of a team that could find themselves in that ninth or 10th spot in the conference would make me feel differently, <laughs> and yet I'm sitting here and I feel the exact same way. I There are there are things that are I think are broken about the NHL playoffs and things that aren't broken, and uh, I, I have no issues with having half the team make the playoffs, half the team don't. Uh, I, I fall into the category of thinking it would kind of cheapen the long slog of the regular season to add in a playoff series as much as I'm sure the NHL's advertiser, advertisers would love the extra little bit of money they get from it. You're, you're a man of principle, Jack. The, you, you were yeah, tested you know. and you, you held strong despite the fact that it could have helped the Penguins uh, theoretically this year. I just like one-and-done hockey, Jack. I just want more one-and-done high-stakes hockey. And like this season to me... Like the idea of a Nashville team having a shot with this weirdo roster, or 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 the or the De- uh, Devon Levi story in Buffalo getting getting a second act, um, just appeals to me. I just think that'd be fun. 
no, I, I, I get it. But as, as a person who's constantly talking about small sample sizes, I, I can't sign off on it. It's not, uh... <laughs> um, the other team I wanted to ask you about in the Eastern Conference who uh, have been scuffling a little bit here going into the playoffs is the Carolina Hurricanes. And, of course, with the injury uh, to Svechnikov, it, it's not as if this is just random, right? There is legit reason to be concerned. How concerned should the Hurricanes be about their performance and what they can expect to do in the playoffs? I think that they should be pretty concerned. I, I mean, this is a team that has, I think, run out of gas in several consecutive playoffs. Um, you know, their issue has been, I mean, we talk about the finishing being a problem. You know, you look at, oh, they have all these expected goals, but they never get the actual goals. So clearly their problem is getting a pure score. Uh, and, and to a certain extent, you know, a, a bit of that is true. And, and that was the reason they got Pacioretty. And one of the reasons why it's so devastating that he suffered that, that injury but I, I think a bigger issue for them is that they, the way that they play the game, you know, it's just all the dump and chase and, you know, chipping it out of the zone and chasing it down and chasing after rebounds and trying to get deflections. I mean, it, it's an exhausting style of game, but it's also a pretty creatively stifling style of game. Uh, you know, they have talented players like, like Mitchis and, and, and Aho, and, and Sveshnikov is absolutely one of them. But once you remove those guys on the team who actually can kind of strike out on their own and, and make that high-level skilled play, then suddenly the team kind of falls into a chip-and-chase mire that, I mean, they're already running out of gas in this regular season. I, I've heard from plenty of Carolina fans that they really just look like they have hit a wall. You know, they're just not winning the battles that they normally do. They're not winning the races. And, I mean, this is a really important season for them. You know, their window has been open for a while. I don't think it's in any danger closing super soon but they have been getting some really good performances from veteran players like Jordan Stahl and and Brent Burns for example uh you never want to count them out but of the top teams I think in the league they're definitely the ones who have shown the biggest signs of weakness down the stretch and unless they can kind of figure it out and, and really kind of renew their commitment to playing that Rod Brindamore style successfully then they might be one of the more vulnerable teams uh to those wild card uh, squads that are fighting for a spot right now. So obviously the lack of scoring ability uh, magnified by the losses of, of Pacioretty and, and Svechnikov, sort of the, the headline item here. But uh, one thing I've, I've heard even from players uh, is, you know, the Rod Brindamore style of stress hockey. And before anyone accuses me of being a tryhard, that's what, that's what Rod Brindamore calls it um, becomes less effective in, in the opinion of some once you get to the playoffs, because everyone else kind of also adopts it. Um, is that a theory you buy? I, I think it's very plausible, and I would, I would combine it with another theory, is that usually, usually the deeper parts of the playoffs tend to align with when my summer beer league hockey starts to get more strenuous and, and exhausting for me. <laughs> and just sitting and watching those teams play and constantly just forechecking and chasing pucks and, and battling, you know, like it, it exhausts me to watch them. And you think about how much hockey this team's played in the past couple of years, the fact that they've played that style through all of those regular seasons and all of those playoffs. I mean, I have had the theory for a couple of years that there are diminishing returns as they get to the playoffs, not just because the other teams are matching them stylistically, but also because the other teams at least are kind of, you know, turning on the gas pedal after having you know not as much chip and chase throughout the season uh but meanwhile the hurricanes 
at that point are probably pretty exhausted. I mean, it, it really takes a toll on your body to be constantly battling for every single puck. Um, and I mean, it, from what I've heard from Hurricanes fans who have been watching them down the stretch here, it, it almost seems like that wall has been hit a couple of weeks ahead of schedule uh, from what it usually does. I mean, the the fact that I'm getting, you know, I think I theorized about that two years ago or something, and I've had Hurricanes fans quote tweeting it, you know, this is a tweet from 2021 or 2022 or, or something. They've been quote tweeting it saying, yep, yep, that's already happened. It's already happened, which I don't think is a very good sign because I, I was planning to give them at least one or two rounds for that to to maybe start to be a factor. Uh, Jack, just before we let you go, I did want to ask you about Eric Carlson, who hits the 100-point milestone, first defenseman to do it in 30 years. His season offensively has been absolutely incredible, especially when you factor in uh, the amount of his production that's coming at 5-on-5. Is he the the runaway Norris winner for you, or do the defensive deficiencies in his game open the door for somebody else? I, I don't think he's the runaway. I'm I'm having trouble with it. I think, you know, there's been a lot of chat about it, I think, because it's probably one of the only actually interesting yes. Norris races left. Um, I, like, there's no denying that this is a generational offensive season. And, I mean, maybe several generations. I mean, like you alluded to, it's not just that he has 100 points. And, it, it's, and it's not even just that he has 100 points on a team that is as poor offensively uh, as the San Jose Sharks. It's it's just the sheer amount. I mean, he's leading the league in five on five scoring. He he might lead the league in five on five primary assists, which is just unheard of for a defenseman to be controlling the passing game that much at five on five. Like it really is unbelievable what he's been able to do. On top of the fact that he's been scoring goals himself as well. Um, but really, you know, the question for me just comes down to and what makes it more interesting than than it maybe would normally be. It's just that I, I don't think it's unfair to say that he's one of the worst defensive defensemen in the league. Uh, and he makes some serious sacrifices defensively in order to create that offense. And to a certain extent, you know, people will say, well, he plays on the Sharks, they're a bad defensive team. And, and that's right. But he does make them worse defensively when he's on the ice. And on top of that, I, I think he, by playing on a rebuilding team that doesn't really have their sights set on the playoffs, it does give him the freedom, I think, to make those defensive sacrifices where a guy like, you know, Adam Fox or Kale McCarr or, you know, who, whoever else you might have in that conversation for the Norris, they just don't have that ability to do because they're fighting for, for points every night. Uh, so it, uh, that's not to say, oh, you know, Carlson shouldn't even be nominated. He's not playing any D, uh, that kind of thing. It's I, I think the question of the Norris really just comes down to how much how many defensive issues are you willing to stomach to celebrate this, you know, generationally amazing offensive performance as being the guy who's worthy of the all around defenseman award. Now, all that said, I think he's going to run away with it in the voting anyway. And it's certainly not going to make me upset to see Eric Carlson win the Norris trophy again. Uh, You know, it's it's kind of a win-win situation, but it does make me look more closely at guys like, you know, Adam Fox, for example, who aren't reaching the offensive heights that he is, uh, but who are maybe pitching in a lot better on the defensive side of the game. Jack, just before we let you go, particularly because that Carlson discussion was so uh, illuminating, um, should Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes garner consideration in the top five uh, on voters' ballots? 
uh, Elias Pettersson for, for, for the Selkie. And, no, Pettersson for Hart, Quinn Hughes for Norris. Well, I, I think we're probably past the point where players who aren't making the playoffs are getting a lot of heart consideration that seems to have just kind of settled in as a norm. I mean, I certainly, I think he's, he's had a unbelievable season and I think he would warrant some selkie consideration for me if, if, you know, if he's not mm, going to be included in the MVP race um, for Quinn Hughes. I, I mean, he's obviously had an exceptional season. Uh, I, I do think that there's just a, another, there's another gear that I'd like to see from him. I mean, you know, you look at the number and, and Canucks fans are frequently really frustrated when they see, Quinn Hughes's, you know, fancy stats because they they don't line up with the point production and they certainly don't line up with the sheer level of skill that they get to enjoy from him every night. Uh, it, it really comes down, you know, for Hughes. I think he took a huge leap defensively this year. You know, when he, you know, snapped at the, I don't know if he snapped when he when he shot back at people who say that he's not good defensively. You know, this season I think it was really justified. He's he's really taken a step forward in his ability to defend off the rush and in a way that reminds me a lot of of how Kale McCarr has been, uh, you know, despite his maybe lack of size has been, has turned into a really good defensive player. Um, I, I just think, you know, there's something that's not quite connected yet. Uh, there's still a lot of stuff coming from the perimeter. Uh, I, I, you know, his shot, I think could be a little bit more dangerous. And I think that makes life a little easier at five on five for, for his opponents. So that's to say that, you know, Quinn Hughes, one of the most skilled defense in the league had a really great season you know, one of the best uh, power play defensemen in the league. Uh, certainly wouldn't make me upset to see him get some solid Norris consideration, but I still do think that there's another level that he can reach before I would say that he's kind of in that real top echelon of defensemen in the league. Jack, really appreciate the time and the insight as always. That was great. Uh, I'm sure we'll have a chance uh, to catch up during the playoffs as well. All right, we can talk about the uh, the Penguins' defeat of the Boston. That's Bruins. right. We'll bring you on. We'll bring you on for the victory lap after that. Thank you. Excellent. Cheers, Wes. That is Jack Fraser. He is at JFreshHockey on Twitter, as I said, an essential follow uh, on Twitter, and also writing about the NHL at EP Rinkside with some really interesting thoughts about Calgary, the playoff picture, and some of the individual awards situations as well. We will take a break. We're going into our final segment. Uh, we'll have a little bit of an update, uh, or at least reaction to the update from Rick Dollywall on Tanner Pearson uh, and we will wrap up the show with 10 minutes of positivity so you can get your thoughts in now 650 650 it is Canucks talk on Sportsnet 650 welcome back to Canucks talk here on Sportsnet 650 final segment of the show I'll tell you that for free what? I'll tell you that for free. Oh, thank you, Dom. Thank you. Yes. I don't, is that going to enter the uh, the Canucks fan lexicon? I'll tell you that for free. We ha- I have seen a couple people end their texts with it to the show today. The, the fact is, is that nothing is free in Vancouver. <laughs> That's so true. Bo paid a price for it. Well, and, and honestly, this actually leads into my, my um, moment of positivity, right? But like... You know, we've been talking about the Pacific Division and, and what the Canucks need to compete and how they contend. And, you know, one thing that's been sort of interesting, one one thing I think this front office has done pretty well at is, you know, the found money stuff. Mm. The Hikito Hiroshi, the... Um, we doing it? We'll just do 10 minutes of positivity now? No, because this is not going to have a positive ending. Yeah, cut it off. 
Thank you. I'm not ready to speak in a calm voice. Anyway, um, the problem with found money, right? Like, the thing about finding 20 bucks on the ground is, like, that's great. That's better than not finding 20 bucks on the ground. Mm-hmm. But the average rent in the city is still 2500 bucks a month. Yep. <laughs> you know, like, this team's needs are too significant, most likely, to be addressed by Hiroshi and McWard and, you know, that, that level of player. And, and this is one thing that, you know, I had an NHL executive text me after watching the Canucks recently. They were just like, you know, I hear a lot of positive discussion in the, uh, in the Vancouver market about a bunch of guys who, you know, we're probably going to look back on and say they weren't NHL guys. And, you know, it's just something that's worth keeping in mind. Now you understand why I didn't want this to be uh, 10 minutes of positivity. But, you know, found money is great. It's just that ultimately, you know, how, mu- how much can you make? It's not a salary. It's not a living. Yeah, that's true. It is not a living, picking up money off the ground. Um, <laughs> 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, if you want to get in ahead, we'll do 10 minutes of positivity in about 10 minutes. That was just a false alarm, a false start there. Well, um, I, was, I said one nice thing, and people are yeah. like, well, that's well, you, something you is said wrong. It leaned into your positivity. Yeah, it does. Prefaced it. It leans in because my my positivity is about okay, okay. one of the found money guys. We'll but get that, there in a second or in, yeah. in a few minutes. Um, but anyways, you can get your submissions in uh, as well, 650, 650, um, as this text comes in. Nothing's free in Vancouver. I'll tell you that for free. <laughs> <laughs> I really like that text. Um there's another incredible text came in that I'm going to have to uh, work on cleaning up a little bit, but I'll read it a little bit later. Anyways, this is definitely not a positive story. Uh, so it'll be a bit of an awkward transition when we do get to 10 minutes of positivity. But I, I do feel like we should bring this up uh, per Rick Dollywell, of course, uh, host of uh, Donnie and Dolly on Check TV. He had an update on Tanner Pearson's situation. Of course, Tanner Pearson hasn't played since November 9th. We know about the hand injury. We know about the... I don't know if I controversy, whatever the right word is, but the the way it has progressed and been handled, obviously not sitting right with everyone. And per Rick Dollywall, uh, the latest on Pearson is that he has had six to seven surgeries so far. The hope is he is done with surgeries. Uh, Dollywall goes on to say the rehab is still a long road ahead for Pearson. Still too early to know if he will play next season. And then I know... Um, Elliot Friedman weighed in on this on on Donnie and Dolly as well today, saying that he expects a a grievance to be filed, certainly if Pearson is unable uh, to play again, and there is uncertainty around that fact. So that's the update. Not exactly a happy one for Tanner Pearson, but uh, there it is. That's the the latest that we know per Rick Dollywell about Tanner Pearson's situation. Hopefully, um, hopefully Tanner Pearson is able to resume his playing career, mostly, you know, I mean, for him more than for any benefit of the team, right? Uh, this is a guy yes. who is about the lowest maintenance pro you'll ever find, right? Like, legitimately crushes every fitness score, right? Just a pro's pro, a guy who's carved out a f- phenomenal niche for himself, particularly given that he was undrafted in his first year of draft eligibility, uh, has gone on to be a, a cup-winning player, a really good teammate, uh, very well-liked in that in that locker room, Um and, you know, seven surgeries, I mean, that's just awful. Like, uh, you just really hope for his sake. It's just bizarre, too. And I, I'm not a doctor. I don't know. But, like, you just don't you don't hear about that. You know what I mean? Like, it's just such a weird situation. And who knows? We'll see how the facts 
unfold. But like that's the thing that gets me, just the toll, the the emotional toll, the mental toll, the physical toll of well, it's going cl- under the knife repeatedly and, like that. And it's clear that something went wrong. I yes, mean, we we know that already from the conversations that the Canucks have had publicly about the matter, and and obviously from. Uh, the reaction of of Pearson and and his teammates, and then Elliot Friedman sort of noting the potential for a grievance, and then and then you know the the other side, the the ghoulish side, the side that I hate to unpack, but that obviously matters a ton is, you know, continued uncertainty on Pearson's health and status for next season is a deeply complicating factor, right? Like I keep talking about five million in cap space for the Canucks, but that's based on an assumption that Pearson begins the year or spends the entire year on LTI. Mm. Because if he doesn't, obviously you have to make space for that. So this is also something that, you know, uh, given the system that we have, right, given the fact that the flat cap system that the NHL has devised includes a mechanism to replace NHL injured players and that, you know, as a result, the health of players dramatically impacts how – quickly and rapidly a team can improve and certainly their options um you know it's it's a really tough story for the Canucks as well yeah it's a bad story all all the way around and that's before we even get into like the grievance which or the potential of one yeah yeah. the potential for a grievance which is just that's not that's not what you want you don't want to be fighting over a really serious matter like this with one of your players or one uh of your ex-players and somebody texts in like who cares about Pearson good riddance I mean I care about a guy like having what shouldn't have been a career-ending injury turn into potentially a career-ending injury. That's awful. Yeah, that's brutal. Like, of course, I care about that. Well, and, and you know, not not that I'm like friendly with Tanner Pearson, but he's always been a good interview subject. He's a pro. Like, he's a pro, and he's always taken time to have good conversations and and you know share details about how he sees the game. Um, this this is a guy who deserves you know, doesn't, doesn't deserve to have his career ended by a botched surgical procedure on a three week injury. Like, come on, what do we have some humanity? Yeah. That, that's the thing, right? It's not at the root of it. Like, yes, obviously there are hockey uh, spinoffs of the conversation, but like at the root of it, it's just brutal, brutally uh, tough for Tanner Pearson to be going through yeah. that. And imagine I hope he's tra- able to get back on the ice. Imagine again. training and sacrificing your whole life and having it, having your, uh, you know, to, to build this career and then having it end like that. Like that's yeah. just unfathomable to me. No, it's it's not good. And as I said, like my number one concern and hope is that uh, he is able to get back on the ice and resume his career at some point. We will bring you more updates as we have them. But that is the latest per Rick Dollywall uh, about Tanner Pearson. All right. As I said, uh, a little bit of a tricky transition because that is not a positive story whatsoever. Uh, but we will transition now. Start it up a little early here because we've got some good ones coming in. It's time for 10 minutes of positivity. And I, I did want to read this one first to start. Uh, this one says, I would just like to say that the 10 minutes of positivity segment is blank from my blank. And I don't really know how to fill in those blanks, but basically he's saying he doesn't like it. He says, I'm a Canucks fan because I hate myself. Please stop trying to trick me and just let Drance cook. We're not trying to trick you. No one's trying to trick anyone. We're not trying to mind control you into stopping hating yourself. Yeah. And by the way, you should stop hating yourself. 100%. Have some compassion. But, but also, Be kind to yourself. I mean, I mean, I don't think he means he actually hates himself. He hates himself as a sports fan, yes. like Jason Bruff does. Yes. I don't think that's um, necessarily negative. And, you know, just a reminder on the origins of this segment. 
uh, one of my childhood best friends, a guy who I watched like a ton of disappointing Canucks moments with, got worried about my sanity and <laughs> and thought that I could use uh, a little bit of positivity in my day to day. So ironically, I don't know that it's worked. Like it seems to stress you out more than anything. You yeah. know what I mean? I mean, I mostly hate the segment as a bit. To be totally honest with you, I don't think. But it's I do feel out. like there's some legitimate. You're like, oh man, I got to think of something now. Like it's a millstone around your neck to a I, certain degree. I mean, it's just like there's. How much can you be positive about? Like five positive takes right. a week is right. a lot. All right, we're going off the rails. We're no, going off the rails of already takes. here. Although somebody did text in that uh, saying you've been pretty positive the whole show. That's from Sam. So hey, we still got to stick with it though. Even if even if we. Uh, uh, even if we've been positive already, well, I don't even know if that's the case necessarily, know, but I... we got to stick with it. Uh, here's what I'll say. So now I know you're gonna you, what you're gonna do in reaction to this one. You're gonna try to spin it into a negative, but this is ten minutes of positivity. All right, I'm still gonna try. So here we go. The Canucks guaranteed to at least have a chance at landing Connor Bedard. Oh yeah, you know what? That's a that's a meaningful. One. As a result of the Ottawa Senators winning last night, the Canucks, the lowest they can finish in the lottery standings is 11th, which means they are guaranteed to have at least a 3% chance at landing Connor Bedard. Yeah, 3% is not very much, but it's a lot better than 0. It is a lot better than 0. At least it preserves the NHL lottery on May 8th as a meaningful date in the calendar. You'll have a chance to do all your superstitions to get your hopes up. Yes, probably to get them crushed as well. But you have, you are in the mix. You are in the running. You have an actual chance at landing Connor Bedard. And just to, you know, take you through all the permutations and the scenarios here, Canucks will finish between 8th and 11th worst. I believe 8th worst gives you a 6.5% chance. Uh, at uh, at drafting Connor Bedard, so that's just six actually. So you have six at eighth, five percent at ninth, three and a half percent at tenth, or three percent uh, at eleven. So those are your the positions, the slots where the Canucks can finish. Also means the lowest they can theoretically pick in the draft is thirteenth, and that would be really long odds. Like if they finished eleventh and a couple of teams jumped over them in uh, in the lottery. Now the compli- I, I do think they're going to end up though in the lowest like of uh, the lowest. There's of that a definitely range. a chance here because go ahead, Dom. I just wanted to add to this. I didn't mean to cut you off there. Five teams since uh, 2016 have moved up uh, in the lottery from that position. From 11th. From anywhere from. Oh, from between eight and 11. Yes. Well, there you go. That's a nice little positive spin on it, Dom. Well, we are doing 10 minutes of positivity. Very nice. I like it. But I you like know, it. You know why though? Because none of those teams were the Canucks. <laughs> Look, man, one of these years it's going to hit. I do not buy into the like lottery curse, no, me anything either. like that whatsoever. Well, I know we get texts all the time saying, like, "Ah, it doesn't matter; they'll never win the lottery." They got they got anywhere from a six to three percent chance. Let's go! It is wildly random. Like it it's, is it's the definition random of random. Process. Yeah, it is absolutely the definition of random. Uh, but to your point, not to uh, undermine my own ten minutes of positivity submission here. The remaining schedules for the relevant teams, including the Canucks, of course, the Canucks play the Ducks tonight. It is a Canucks game night. It's not favorable for the Canucks. Washington, who massive, massive win against the Islanders last night. That was just huge. But Washington finishes tonight in Boston, Thursday, home against New Jersey. Detroit has Carolina tonight, and then Thursday in Tampa. And then St. Louis has back-to-backs, a home-and-home uh, with the Dallas Stars, and you just go through those teams, obviously all playoff teams that those teams are facing, you hope that, like, 
I mean, I want to say like, oh, maybe Boston's taking their foot off the gas a little bit here, but like they're not. They've won six in a row. They're nine and one in their last ten. That's a pretty tough game. You know, Dallas still playing for playoff positioning and seeding, trying to finish first in their division. Like those are tough games for St. Louis. And then the Canucks wrap up with the Ducks and the Coyotes. So you need a little bit of luck to stick around in eighth place. They're uh, they're gonna. I think they're going to end up, but that's okay. 3% odds. I mean, it's not what it should have been, but this team didn't care. They don't care. They don't believe in pursuing maximum odds for the draft lottery. They don't believe in acting in their rational self-interest in a way that would match the rest of the league. Um, and that's okay. So long as, so long as they're right, that they've built culture that helps them next year. Good luck to them. It's, it's, 10 minutes of positivity. Good, yes, luck, good luck to the good Vancouver. Luck to them. Good luck to the Vancouver Canucks. You do it your own way. You, uh, you guys do it your own way. It'll be fun. Market will be entertaining. Uh, Marcus and Gibson says 10 minutes of positivity. Delia left the net at exactly the right time. No Miller stick smash. Baby steps. Got sure. the timing down in game 80. Perfect. <laughs> Killing it. Uh, this one uh, comes in uh, from Johnny Mack. Uh, moment of positivity, the painful end to another disappointing Canucks season is leading to my favorite playoff storyline of watching the Leafs fail to win another first-round series. That's from Johnny Mack. Um, I'm worried about the Leafs' first-round playoff Lightning are streak. looking pretty banged up. Yeah. Like, I would have the Leafs as pretty heavy favorites, and I know the Lightning still have, like, the Lightning mystique, but... It's running on fumes a little bit here. That might be a little harsh, but like, if you're a dyed in the wool Leafs hater, who, as our texter says, is like just clinging to the hope that you're going to watch another Leafs catastrophe, disappointment in the first round, I am concerned. I am very, very concerned about that matchup of Tampa Bay. For what it's worth, and it's posted on Vegas, and you can check out the odds that are from our friends at PlayNow.com. Mm -hmm. Lightning plus one twenty to advance. Leafs minus one forty, so they're favored, and not by. It's not really that's not really pick'em territory. It's not huge favors. No, it's not massive. That's sixty percent ish, maybe fifty five percent, fifty eight percent implied odds. So, yeah, I mean, look, statistically, if you make the playoffs eight years in a row, you're likely to win a round on. Yep. It actually like I'm like purely dumb luck. It's like straight up a black swan event to fail to advance eight times in a row. Even if you're even if you're overmatched in a way that the Leafs like frankly haven't been in most of their series. Yeah, and definitely not for a while. No, like, the, like you're uh, talking about like the first two maybe where you not say even that? the first the, the Capitals one. Yeah, like that's it. You know, like their second their second trip to the playoffs was uh, after they'd signed um, Tavares. Like they signed Tavares, they had. No, that's not right. No, they had it, one other one. Okay, you should have been the Boston the one, right? But yeah. by the by the third bo- by the second Boston one, they're the better team. They're actually the better team in five of those seven games. It's just they kind of you know did Leafs stuff. Uh, a good point about those. Well, I don't know though because he's saying Vegas odds are. This texture comes in. Vegas odds are based on what team gets the most money bet on them. But you would expect the Leafs odds to be like they would have you would expect them to be heavier favorites then because there's so many people desperate to bet on the Leafs like they're such a public team I mean the Leafs are a public team but the like Vegas the Vegas odds are to set the set the line obviously where the most people will bet on it yeah but in terms of a money line set like the spread is really determined 
the spread is really what you're looking for with public teams, right? The the money line or the puck line or whatever. I mean, it's um, I, I mean, it's instructive. Vegas doesn't want to take a bath. No, indeed. Uh, <laughs> In fact, Vegas refuses to bathe. <laughs> um, you got one quickly. Yep. I think Neil Zaman is finishing the season third line center. <laughs> third so, line center. I still don't see the offense. I just don't see the offense for that. But maybe he can be that third line center that doesn't score, that's just like an eraser. Maybe he can be that guy. And and the thing that he's going to need to do most is like add 20 pounds without losing a step mm. because that'll immediately increase his faceoff percentage. Like he needs to just be a bigger guy because right now what we're seeing from him what? Just every time we finish a description with guy now, I just yeah. think about Rick Tockett. <laughs> well, I mean, I've, I've, sp- but you're right. With, I've spoken with him on a few times. Like he's a bit of a beanpole. Like yeah. he's a really, he's a, obviously a phenomenal athlete, a phenomenal skater. He can fly out there, but he's, you know, wiry. And, and that can be a huge asset as he puts on heft because he's so disruptive. And I think I've noticed it a lot more even the last like two weeks, just the way that he's using his speed and frame to snuff out opponent possessions um, has really stood out to me over the last two weeks. Like I think he's played his best defensive hockey bar none. No question about it. He's like finishing the season far stronger than he was even in the middle sections as he impressed two coaches as an NHL rookie. Like right now has been the last two weeks. He's really looked the part of a guy where I can begin to see like, okay, maybe, maybe, despite the lack of offense, mm. and, and I still don't see anything there despite, you know, that run of uh, assists that he had off the rush. Like, I still don't see enough um, skill for for me to say, like, third-line center with a bullet because he can be skilled enough, but I think he could maybe be disruptive enough to, to potentially hold down that role well, if it was the right type of And role. I think this is the thing with a lot of, like, the, sometimes the goofy ideas I'm putting out there about what the Canucks should consider next season is like they're not dealing with a set of ideal options. So like, of course, it's not ideal to try Neil Zaman as your third line center, but they're in a very constrained situation where like you're going to have to maybe try some funky things, try some different ideas. And I look at it like, okay, Neil Zaman and Connor Garland. Garland, you look at, doesn't really profile as like a defensive-minded third-line winger type player. Neil Zaman, as you said, doesn't have the offensive upside you would typically want from a third-line center. Can they kind of cancel out each other's weaknesses enough that like, okay, you're getting enough offense on the third line from Connor Garland. Oman is helping provide the defense, the defensive uh, emphasis. Like those are the kinds of things where it's not like, it's not how you draw it up. It's not how you would design your third line in a lab. But if you're going to squeeze the most out of the resources you have on hand, I think you're going to have to take some swings that look like that. I would love the connects to be conservative or deliberate about just about anything, including that. Yes. So, sure. Fine. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for texting in. We appreciate it. Enjoy the game tonight down in Anaheim. We'll be back tomorrow. You've got it on Sportsnet 650. Good luck to the Vancouver Canucks. You do it your own way.